Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Tonight, I will be continuing the story of the Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. So lie down. Close your eyes and let me read you a story. Chapter 3 The Catalans Beyond a bare, weather worn wall, about a hundred paces from the spot where the two friends sat looking and listening as they drank their wine, was the village 
of the Catalans. Long ago, this mysterious colony quitted Spain and settled on the tongue of land on which it is to this day. Whence it came no one knew, and it spoke an unknown tongue. One of its chiefs, who understood Provençal, begged the commune of Marseille to give them this bare and barren promontory, where, like the sailors of old, they had run their boats ashore. The request was granted, and three months afterwards, around the twelve or fifteen small vessels which had brought these gypsies of the sea, a small village sprang up. This village, constructed in a singular and picturesque manner, half Moorish, half Spanish, still remains, and is inhabited by descendants of the first comers who speak the language of their fathers. For three or four centuries they have remained upon this small promontory on which they had settled like a flight of seabirds without mixing with the Marseillaise population, intermarrying and preserving their original customs and the costume of their mother country as they have preserved its language. Our readers will follow us along the only street of this little village and enter with us one of the houses, which is sunburned to the beautiful, dead-leaf colour peculiar to the buildings of the country, and within coated with whitewash like a Spanish posada. A young and beautiful girl with hair as black as jet, her eyes as velvety as the gazelles, was leaning with her back against the wainscot, rubbing in her slender, delicately moulded fingers a bunch of heath blossoms, the flowers of which she was picking off and strewing on the floor, her arms, bare to the elbow, brown, and modelled after those of the Elysian Venus, moved with a kind of restless impatience, and she tapped the earth with her arched and supple foot, so as to display the pure and full shape of her well-turned leg in its red cotton, grey, and blue-clocked stocking. At three paces from her, seated in a chair which he balanced on two legs, leaning his elbow on an old, worm-eaten table, was a tall young man of twenty, or two-and-twenty, who was looking at her with an air in which vexation and uneasiness were mingled. He questioned her with his eyes, but the firm and steady gaze of the girl controlled his look. You see, Mercedes, said the young man, here's Easter come round again. Tell me, is this the moment for a wedding? I've answered you a hundred times, Fernand, and really, you must be very stupid to ask me again. Well, repeat it. Repeat it, I beg of you, that I may at last believe it. Tell me for the hundredth time that you refuse my love, which had your mother's sanction. Make me understand once for all that you are trifling with my happiness, that my life or death are nothing to you. Ah, to have dreamed for ten years of being your husband, Mercedes, and to lose that hope, which was the only stay of my existence. At least it was not I who ever encouraged you in that hope, Fernand replied Mercedes. You cannot reproach me with the slightest coquetry. I have always said to you, I love you as a brother, but do not ask from me more than sisterly affection, for my heart is another's. Is not this true, Fernand? Yes, that is very true, Mercedes, replied the young man. Yes, you have been cruelly frank with me, but do you forget that it is among the Catalans a sacred law to intermarry? 
You mistake, Fernand. It is not a law, but merely a custom. And, I pray of you, do not cite this custom in your favour. You are included in the conscription, Fernand, and are only at liberty on sufferance, liable at any moment to be called upon to take up arms. Once a soldier, what would you do with me, a poor orphan, forlorn, without fortune, with nothing but a half-ruined hut and a few ragged nets, the miserable inheritance left by my father to my mother, and my mother to me? She's been dead a year, and you know, Fernand, I have subsisted almost entirely on public charity. Sometimes you pretend I am useful to you, and that is an excuse to share with me the produce of your fishing, and I accept it, Fernand, because you are the son of my father's brother, because we were brought up together, and still more because it would give you so much pain if I refuse. But I feel very deeply that this fish which I go and sell, and with the produce of which I buy the flax I spin, I feel very keenly, Fernand, that this is charity. And if it were, Mercedes, poor and lone as you are, you suit me as well as the daughter of the first shipowner or the richest banker of Marseille. What do such as we desire but a good wife and careful housekeeper? And where can I look for these better than in you? Fernand, answered Mercedes, shaking her head. A woman becomes a bad manager. And who shall say she will remain an honest woman when she loves another man better than her husband? Rest content with my friendship. For I say once more, that is all I can promise, and I will promise no more than I can bestow. I understand, replied Fernand. You can endure your own wretchedness patiently, but you are afraid to share mine. Well, Mercedes, beloved by you, I would tempt fortune. You would bring me good luck, and I should become rich. I could extend my occupation as a fisherman might get a place as a clerk in a warehouse, and become in time a dealer myself. You could do no such thing, Fernand. You are a soldier, and if you remain at the Catalans, it is because there is no war. So remain a fisherman, and contented with my friendship, as I cannot give you more. Well, I will do better, Mercedes. I will be a sailor, instead of the costume of our fathers, which you despise. I will wear a varnished hat, a striped shirt, and a blue jacket with an anchor on the buttons. Would not that dress please you? What do you mean? asked Mercedes with an angry glance. What do you mean? I do not understand you. I mean, Mercedes, that you are thus harsh and cruel with me because you are expecting someone who is thus attired, but perhaps he whom you await is inconstant, or if he is not, the sea is to him. Fernand, cried Mercedes, I believed you were good-hearted, and I was mistaken. Fernand, you are wicked to call to your aid jealousy and the anger of God. Yes, I will not deny it. I do await, and I do love him of whom you speak. And if he does not return, instead of accusing him of the inconstancy which you insinuate, I will tell you that he died loving me, and me only. The young girl made a gesture of rage. I understand you, Fernand. You would be revenged on him because I do not love you. You would cross your Catalan knife with his dirk. What end would that answer? To lose my friendship if he were conquered, and see that friendship changed into hate if you were victor. Believe me, to seek a quarrel with a man is a bad method of pleasing the woman who loves that man. 
No, Fernand, you will not thus give way to evil thoughts. Unable to have me for your wife, you will content yourself with having me for your friend and sister. And besides, she added, her eyes troubled and moistened with tears. Wait, wait, Fernand. You said just now that the sea was treacherous, and he has been gone four months. And during these four months, there have been some terrible storms. Fernand made no reply, nor did he attempt to check the tears which flowed down the cheeks of Mercedes, although for each of these tears he would have shed his heart's blood. But these tears flowed for another. He arose, paced a while up and down the hut, and then, suddenly stopping before Mercedes with his eyes glowing and his hands clenched, Say, Mercedes, he said, once and for all, is this your final determination? I love Edmond Dantes, the young girl calmly replied, and none but Edmond shall ever be my husband. And you will always love him? As long as I live. Fernand let fall his head like a defeated man, heaved a sigh that was like a groan, and then suddenly looking her full in the face with clenched teeth and expanded nostrils, said, But if he is dead, if he is dead, I shall die too. If he has forgotten you? Mercedes, called a joyous voice from without. Mercedes. Ah, exclaimed the young girl, blushing with delight and fairly leaping in excess of love. You see, he has not forgotten me, for here he is. And rushing towards the door, she opened it, saying, Here, Edmond, here I am. Fernand, pale and trembling, drew back like a traveller at the sight of a serpent and fell into a chair beside him. Edmond and Mercedes were clasped in each other's arms. The burning Marseille sun, which shot into the room through the open door, covered them with a flood of light. At first they saw nothing around them. Their intense happiness isolated them from the rest of the world, and they only spoke in broken words, which are the tokens of a joy so extreme that they seem rather the expression of sorrow. Suddenly, Edmond saw the gloomy, pale, and threatening countenance of Fernand, as it was defined in the shadow. By a movement for which he could scarcely account to himself, the young Catalan placed his hand on the knife at his belt. Ah, your pardon, said Dantes, frowning in his turn. I did not perceive that there were three of us. Then turning to Mercedes, he inquired, Who is this gentleman? One who will be your best friend, Dantes, for he is my friend, my cousin, my brother. It is Fernand, the man whom after you, Edmond, I love the best in the world. Do you not remember him? Yes, said Dantes, and without relinquishing Mercedes's hand, clasped in one of his own, he extended the other to the Catalan with a cordial air. But Fernand, instead of responding to this amiable gesture, remained mute and trembling. Edmond then cast his eyes scrutinizingly at the agitated and embarrassed Mercedes, and then again on the gloomy and menacing Fernand. This look told him all, and his anger waxed hot. I did not know when I came with such haste to you that I was to meet an enemy here. An enemy, cried Mercedes, with an angry look at her cousin. An enemy in my house, do you say, Edmond? If I believed that, I would place my arm under yours and go with you to Marseille, leaving the house to return to it no more. Fernand's eye darted lightning, 
And should any misfortune occur to you, dear Edmond, she continued, with the same calmness, which proved to Fernand that the young girl had read the very innermost depths of his sinister thought. If misfortune should occur to you, I would ascend the highest point of the Cap de Margion and cast myself headlong from it. Fernand became deadly pale. But you are deceived, Edmond, she continued. You have no enemy here. There is no one but Fernand, my brother, who will grasp your hand as a devoted friend. And at these words the young girl fixed her imperious look on the Catalan, who, as if fascinated by it, came slowly towards Edmond and offered him his hand. His hatred, like a powerless though furious wave, was broken against the strong ascendancy which Mercedes exercised over him. Scarcely, however, had he touched Edmond's hand than he felt he had done all he could do and rushed hastily out of the house. Oh, he exclaimed, running furiously and tearing his hair. Oh, who will deliver me from this man? Wretched, wretched that I am. Hello, Catalan. Hello, Fernand. Where are you running to? exclaimed a voice. The young man stopped suddenly, looked around him, and perceived Caderousse sitting at a table with Danglars under an arbor. Well, said Caderousse, why don't you come? Are you really in such a hurry that you have no time to pass the time of day with your friends? Particularly when they have still a full bottle before them, added Danglars. Fernand looked at them both with a stupefied air, but he did not say a word. He seems besotted, said Danglars, pushing Caderousse with his knee. Are we mistaken? And is Dantes triumphant in spite of all we have believed? Why, we must inquire into that, was Caderousse's reply. And turning towards the young man said, Well, Catalan, can't you make up your mind? Fernand wiped away the perspiration steaming from his brow and slowly entered the arbor, whose shade seemed to restore somewhat of a calmness to his senses, and whose coolness somewhat of a refreshment to his exhausted body. Good day, said he. You called me, didn't you? And he fell rather than sat down on one of the seats which surrounded the table. I called you because you were running like a madman, and I was afraid you would throw yourself into the sea, said Caderousse, laughing. Why, when a man has friends, they are not only to offer him a glass of wine, but moreover to prevent his swallowing three or four pints of water unnecessarily. Fernand gave a groan which resembled a sob and dropped his head into his hands, his elbows leaning on the table. Well, Fernand, I must say, said Caderousse, beginning the conversation with that brutality of the common people in which curiosity destroys all diplomacy. You look uncommonly like a rejected lover, and he burst into a hoarse laugh. Ah, said Danglars, a lad of his make was not born to be unhappy in love. You are laughing at him, Caderousse. No, he replied. Only hark how he sighs. Come, come, Fernand, said Caderousse. Hold up your head and answer us. It's not polite not to reply to friends who ask news of your health. My health is well enough, said Fernand, clenching his hands without raising his head. Ah, you see, Danglars, said Caderousse, winking at his friend. This is how it is. Fernand, whom you see here, is a good and brave Catalan, 
one of the best fishermen in Marseille, and he is in love with a very fine girl named Mercedes. But it appears, unfortunately, that the fine girl is in love with the mate of the Ferron, and as the Ferron arrived today, might you understand? No, I do not understand, said Danglars. Poor Fernand has been dismissed, continued Caderousse. Well, and what then? said Fernand, lifting up his head and looking at Caderousse like a man who looks for someone on whom to vent his anger. Mercedes is not accountable to any person, is she? Is she not free to love whomsoever she will? Oh, if you take it in that sense, said Caderousse, it is another thing. But I thought you were a Catalan. And they told me the Catalans were not meant to allow themselves to be supplanted by a rival. It was even told me that Fernand, especially, was terrible in his vengeance. Fernand smiled piteously. A lover is never terrible, he said. Poor fellow, remarked Danglars, affecting to pity the young man from the bottom of his heart. Why, you see, he did not expect to see Dantes return so suddenly. He thought he was dead, perhaps, or perchance faithless. These things always come on us more severely when they come suddenly. Ah, ma foi. Under any circumstances, said Caderousse, who drank as he spoke, and on whom the fumes of the wine began to take effect. Under any circumstances, Fernand is not the only person put out by the fortunate arrival of Dantes. Is he, Danglars? No, you're right. And I should say that would bring him ill luck. Well, never mind, answered Caderousse pouring out a glass of wine from Fernand and filling his own for the eighth or ninth time, while Danglars had merely sipped his. Never mind. In the meantime, he marries Mercedes, the lovely Mercedes. At least he returns to do that. During this time, Danglars fixed his piercing glance on the young man, on whose heart Caderousse's words fell like molten lead. And when is the wedding to be? he asked. Oh, it is not yet fixed, murmured Fernand. No, but it will be, said Caderousse, as surely as Dantes will be the captain of the Ferron. Eh, Danglars? Danglars shuddered at this unexpected attack and turned to Caderousse, whose countenance he scrutinized, to try and detect whether the blow was premeditated. But he read nothing but envy in a countenance already rendered brutal and stupid by drunkenness. Well, said he, filling the glasses, let us drink to Captain Edmond Dantes, husband of the beautiful Catalan. Caderousse raised his glass to his mouth with an unsteady hand and swallowed the contents at a gulp. Fernand dashed his on the ground. Eh, eh, stammered Caderousse. What do I see down there by the wall in the direction of the Catalans? Look, Fernand, your eyes are better than mine. I believe I see double. You know wine is a deceiver, but I should say... It was two lovers, walking side by side and hand in hand. Heaven forgive me, they do not know that we can see them, and they are actually embracing. Danglars did not lose one pang that Fernand endured. Do you know them, Fernand? he said. Yes, was the reply in a low voice. It is Edmond, Mercedes. Ah, see there now, said Caderousse, and I did not recognize them. Hello, Dantes. Hello, lovely damsel. Come this way and let us know when the wedding is to be. 
for Fernand here is so obstinate he will not tell us. Hold your tongue, will you? said Danglars, pretending to restrain Caderousse, who, with the tenacity of drunkards, leaned out of the arbor. Try to stand upright and let the lovers make love without interruption. See, look at Fernand and follow his example. He is well behaved. Fernand, probably excited beyond bearing, pricked by Danglars, as the bull is by the bandieros, was about to rush out, for he had risen from his seat and seemed to be collecting himself to dash headlong upon his rival. When Mercedes, smiling and graceful, lifted up her lovely head and looked at them with her clear and bright eyes. At this, Fernand recollected her threat of dying if Edmond died and dropped again heavily on his seat. Danglars looked at the two men, one after the other, the one brutalized by liquor, the other overwhelmed with love. I shall get nothing from these fools, he muttered, and I am very much afraid of being here between a drunkard and a coward. Here's an envious fellow making himself boozy on wine when he ought to be nursing his wrath. And here is a fool who sees the woman he loves stolen from under his nose and takes on like a big baby. Yet this Catalan has eyes that glisten like those of the vengeful Spaniards, Sicilians, and Calabrians, and the other has fists big enough to crush an ox at one blow. Unquestionably, Edwin's star is in the ascendant, and he will marry the splendid girl. He will be captain too, and laugh at us all. Unless. A sinister smile passed over Danglars' lips. Unless I take a hand in the affair, he added. Hello, continued Caderousse, half rising, and with his fist on the table. Hello, Edmond. Do you not see your friends, or are you too proud to speak to them? No, my dear fellow, replied Dantes. I'm not proud, but I am happy, and happiness blinds, I think, more than pride. Ah, very well, that's an explanation, said Caderousse. How do you do, Madame Dantes? Mercedes curtsied gravely and said, That is not my name and in my country it bodes ill-fortune, they say, to call a young girl by the name of her betrothed before he becomes her husband. So call me Mercedes, if you please. We must excuse our worthy neighbour, Caderousse, said Dantes. He's so easily mistaken. So then, the wedding is to take place immediately, Monsieur Dantes, said Danglars, bowing to the young couple. As soon as possible, Monsieur Danglars. Today all preliminaries will be arranged at my father's, and tomorrow, or next day at latest, the wedding festival here at La Reserve. My friends will be there, I hope. That is to say, you are invited, Monsieur Danglars, and you, Caderousse. And Fernand, said Caderousse with a chuckle. Fernand, too, is invited. My wife's brother is my brother, said Armand, and we, Mercedes and I, should be very sorry if you were absent at such a time. Fernand opened his mouth to reply that his voice died on his lips and he could not utter a word. Today the preliminaries, tomorrow or the next day the ceremony. You're in a hurry, Captain. Danglars, said Armand, smiling, I will say to you as Mercedes just said now to Caderousse, do not give me a title to which does not belong to me. That may bring me bad luck. Your pardon, replied Danglars. I merely said you seemed in a hurry, and we have lots of time. The Faroon cannot be underway again in less than three months. We are always in a hurry to be happy, Monsieur Danglars. 
for we have suffered a long time. We have great difficulty in believing in good fortune. But it is not selfishness alone that makes me thus in haste. I must go to Paris. Ah, really, to Paris. And will it be the first time you've ever been there, Dantes? Yes. Have you business there? Not of my own. The last commission of poor Captain Leclerc. You know to what I allude, Danglars. It's a secret. Besides, I shall only take the time to go and return. Yes, yes, I understand, said Danglars. And then in a low tone, he added, To Paris, no doubt, to deliver the letter which the Grand Marshal gave him. Ah, this letter gives me an idea, a capital idea. Ah, Dantes, my friend, you are not yet registered number one on board the good ship Ferron. Then, turning towards Edmond, who was walking away, A pleasant journey, he cried. Thank you, said Edmond with a friendly nod. And the two lovers continued on their way, as calm and joyous, as if they were the very elect of heaven. Chapter 4 Conspiracy Danglars followed Edmond and Mercedes with his eyes until the two lovers disappeared behind one of the angles of Fort Saint Nicholas. Then turning around, he perceived Fernand, who had fallen, pale and trembling, into his chair, while Caderousse stammered out the words of a drinking song. Well, my dear sir, said Danglars to Fernand, here is a marriage which does not appear to make everybody happy. It drives me to despair, said Fernand. Do you then love Mercedes? I adore her. For long? As long as I've known her. Always. And you sit here, tearing your hair instead of seeking to remedy your condition. I did not think that was the way of your people. What would you have me do? said Fernand. How do I know? Is it my affair? I am not in love with Mademoiselle Mercedes. But for you... In the words of the gospel, seek and ye shall find. I have found already. What? I would stab the man, but the woman told me that if any misfortune happened to her betrothed, she would kill herself. Women say those things but never do them. You do not know Mercedes. What she threatens, she will do. Idiot, muttered Danglars. Whether she kill herself or not, what matter, provided Dantes is not captain? Before Mercedes should die, replied Fernand with the accents of unshaken resolution, I would die myself. That's what I call love, said Caderousse, with a voice more tipsy than ever. That's love, or I don't know what love is. Come, said Danglars. You appear to me a good sort of fellow, and hang me I should like to help you, but... Yes, said Caderousse, but how? My dear fellow, replied Danglars, you are three parts drunk, finish the bottle, and you'll be completely so. Drink, then, and do not meddle with what we are discussing, but that requires all one's wit and cool judgment. I, drunk, said Caderousse, well, that's a good one. I could drink four more such bottles. They're no bigger than cologne flasks. Pierre Pomphile, more wine, said Caderousse. And he rattled his glass upon the table. You were saying, sir, said Fernand, awaiting with great anxiety the end of this interruptive remark. What was I saying? I forget. 
This drunken Caderousse has made me lose the thread of my sentence. Drunk, if you like, so much the worse for those who fear wine, for it is because they have bad thoughts which they are afraid the liquor will extract from their hearts. And Caderousse began to sing the two last lines of a song very popular at the time. The wicked are great drinkers of water, as the flood proved once for all. You said, sir, you would like to help me, but... Yes, but I added, to help you it would be sufficient that Dantes did not marry her you love, and the marriage may easily be thwarted, methinks, and yet Dantes need not die. Death alone can separate them, remarked Fernand. You talk like a noodle, my friend, said Caderousse, and here is Danglar, who is a wide-awake, clever, deep fellow, who will prove to you that you are wrong. Prove it, Danglar. I've answered for you. Say there's no need why Dantes should die. It would indeed be a pity he should. Dantes is a good fellow. I like Dantes. Dantes, your health. Fernand rose impatiently. Let him run on, said Danglar, restraining the young man. Drunk as he is, he's not much out in what he says. Absence severs as well as death. And if the walls of a prison were between Edmond and Mercedes, they would be as effectually separated as if he lay under a tombstone. Yes, but one gets out of prison, said Caderousse, who, with what sense was left him, listened eagerly to the conversation. And when one gets out, and one's name is Edmond Dantes, one seeks revenge. What matters that? muttered Fernand. And why, I should like to know, persisted Caderousse, should they put Dantes in prison? He is not robbed or killed or murdered. Hold your tongue, said Danglars. I won't hold my tongue, replied Caderousse. I say, I want to know why they should put Dantes in prison. I like Dantes. Dantes, your health. And he swallowed another glass of wine. Danglars saw in the muddled look of the tailor the progress of his intoxication, and turning towards Fernand, said, Well, you understand there's no need to kill him. Certainly not if, as you said just now, you have the means of having Dantes arrested. Have you that means? It is to be found for the searching. But why should I meddle in the matter? It is no affair of mine. I know not why you meddle, said Fernand, seizing his arm. But this I know. You have some motive of personal hatred against Dantes, for he who himself hates is never mistaken in the sentiments of others. I, motives of hatred against Dantes, none of my word. I saw you were unhappy, and your unhappiness interested me, that's all. But since you believe I act from my own account, adieu, my dear friend. Get out of the affair as best you may. And Aglar rose as if he meant to depart. No, no, said Fernand, restraining him. Stay. It is of very little consequence to me at the end of the matter whether you have any angry feeling or not towards Dantes. I hate him. I confess it openly. Do you find the means? I will execute it, provided it is not to kill the man, for Mercedes has declared she will kill herself if Dantes is killed. Caderousse, who had let his head drop on the table, now raised it and looking at Fernand with his dull and fishy eyes, said, Kill Dantes? Who talks of killing Dantes? I won't have him killed. I won't. He's my friend. And this morning offered to share his money with me, as I shared mine with him. I won't have Dantes killed. I won't. 
and who has said a word about killing him, Muddlehead? replied Danglar. We were merely joking. Drink to his health, he added, filling Caderousse's glass, and do not interfere with us. Yes, yes, Dantes's good health, said Caderousse, emptying his glass. Here's to his health. His health. Hurrah. But the means, the means, said Fernand. Have you not hit upon any? asked Anglar. No, you undertook to do so. True, replied Danglars. The French have the superiority over the Spaniards, that the Spaniards ruminate while the French invent. Do you invent then? said Fernand impatiently. Waiter, said Danglars. Pen, ink, and paper. Pen, ink, and paper, muttered Fernand. Yes, I am a supercargo. Pen, ink, and paper are my tools, and without my tools I am fit for nothing. Pen, ink, and paper then, called Fernand loudly. There's what you want on that table, said the waiter. Bring them here. The waiter did as he was desired. When one thinks, said Caderousse, letting his hand drop on the paper, there is here wherewithal to kill a man, more sure than if we waited at the corner of a wood to assassinate him. I've always had more dread of a pen, a bottle of ink, and a sheet of paper, than of a sword or pistol. The fellow is not so drunk as he appears to be, said Danglars. Give him some more wine, Fernand. Fernand filled Caderousse's glass, who, like the confirmed toper he was, lifted his head from the paper and seized the glass. The Catalan watched him until Caderousse, almost overcome by this fresh assault on his senses, rested, or rather dropped, his glass upon the table. Well, resumed the Catalan, as he saw the final glimmer of Caderousse's reason vanishing before the last glass of wine. Well then, I should say, for instance, resumed Anglars, that if after a voyage such as Dantes has just made, in which he touched at the island of Elba, someone were to denounce him to the king's procurer as a Bonapartist agent. I will denounce him, exclaimed the young man hastily. Yes. They will make you then sign your declaration and confront you with him you have denounced. I will supply you with the means of supporting your accusation, for I know the fact well. But Dantes cannot remain forever in prison, and one day or other he will leave it. And the day when he comes out, woe betide him who was the cause of his incarceration. Oh, I should wish nothing better than that he would come and seek a quarrel with me. Yes, a Mercedes. Mercedes who will detest you if you have only the misfortune to scratch the skin of her dearly beloved, Edmond. True, said Fernand. No, no, continued Danglars. If we resolve on such a step, it would be much better to take, as I now do, this pen, dip it into this ink, and write with the left hand, for the writing may not be recognized, the denunciation we propose. And Danglars, uniting practice with theory, wrote with his left hand, and in a writing reversed from his usual style, and totally unlike it, the following lines, which he handed to Fernand, and which Fernand read in an undertone. The Honourable the King's Attorney is informed by a friend of the throne and religion that one Edmond Dantes, mate of the ship Ferron, arrived this morning from Smyrna, after having touched at Naples and Porto Verajo, has been entrusted by Murat with a letter for the usurper, 
and by the usurper with a letter for the Bonapartist Committee in Paris. Proof of this crime will be found on arresting him, for the letter will be found upon him, or at his father's, or in his cabin on board the Ferron. Very good, resumed Aglar. Now your revenge looks like common sense, for in no way can it refer it to yourself, and the matter will thus work its own way. There is nothing to do now but fold the letter as I am doing, and write upon it to the king's attorney, and that's all settled. And Anglar wrote the address as he spoke. Yes, and that's all settled, exclaimed Caderousse, who by a last effort of intellect had followed the reading of the letter, and instinctively comprehended all the misery which such a denunciation must entail. Yes, and that's all settled. Only it would be an infamous shame. And he stretched out his hand to reach the letter. Yes, said Danglars, taking it from beyond his reach. And as what I say and do is merely in jest, and I, amongst the first and foremost, should be sorry if anything happened to Dantes, the worthy Dantes. Look here. And taking the letter, he squeezed it up in his hands and threw it into the corner of the arbor. All right, said Caderousse. Dantes is my friend, and I won't have him ill-used. And who thinks of using him ill? Certainly neither I nor Fernand, said Danglars, rising and looking at the young man, who still remained seated, but whose eye was fixed on the denunciatory sheet of paper flung into the corner. In this case, replied Caderousse, let's have some more wine. I wish to drink to the health of Edmond and the lovely Mercedes. You've had too much already, drunkard, said Danglars, and if you continue, be compelled to sleep here because unable to stand on your own legs. I, said Caderousse, rising with all the offended dignity of a drunken man, I can't keep on my legs. Why, I'll wager I can go up into the belfry of the Accoule. And without staggering, too. Done, said Danglars. I'll take your bet, but tomorrow. Today it is time to return. Give me your arm and let us go. Very well, let us go, said Caderousse but I don't want your arm at all. Come, Fernand. Won't you return to Marseille with us? No, said Fernand. I shall return to the Catalans. You're wrong. Come with us to Marseille. Come along. I will not. What do you mean, you will not? Well, just as you like, my prince, there's liberty for all the world. Come along, Danglars, and let the young gentleman return to the Catalan if he chooses. Danglars took advantage of Caderousse's temper at the moment to take him off towards Marseille by the Port de Saint-Victor, staring as he went. When they had advanced about twenty yards, Danglars looked back and saw Fernand stoop, pick up the crumpled paper, and putting it into his pocket, then rush out of the arbor towards Pilon. Well, said Caderousse, why, what a lie he told. He said he was going to the Catalan, and he's going to the city. Hello, Fernand. Oh, you don't see straight, said Danglars. He's gone right enough. Well, said Caderousse, I should have said not. How treacherous wine is. Come, come, said Danglars to himself. Now the thing is at work, and it will effect its purpose unassisted. Good night. <laughs>